Hey, welcome back. I'm Kenny Mertler Jones. You're listening to the project, and this is the second part in a two-part series looking at crowdfunding in infrastructure as part of our infrastructure innovators series. People generally understand commercial real estate. They understand, uh, you know, stocks and bonds, but infrastructure is new. So we're putting a lot of focus now on the educational aspect of explaining how to evaluate infrastructure investments as as an asset class. That was Brian Ross, founder of InfraShares, talking in the previous episode about crowdfunding and infrastructure. In this episode, I'm talking to Paul Skillicorn, founder of Skillicorn Technologies, about the wastewater treatment project that he's raising money for right now on the InfraShares platform. We'll share a link in the show notes if you want to find out more about Paul's project. I began by asking him to explain what this project is all about. What we will be doing is taking wastewater, which is an expensive proposition for every town, city, municipal entity, and making it profitable. And we do this by extracting very carefully all the energy. We extract all the nutrients, and we then render the resulting water potable. So all three of those can then be monetized and we make money with them. So it's complicated. Uh, there are essentially two major pieces to the equation, treating wastewater and monetizing what we recover. But this is uh, will be the advent of the circular economy. Uh, in the United States. So Paul, talk more about the process. I mean, the, the treatment of wastewater is not a new thing. Tell us more about what you're doing differently and what makes this project so innovative. Wastewater um, has a number of steps to it always. You, you separate the solids from the liquids, etc. Those pieces of the equation are reasonably similar in what we do and what is done. The most important piece of our equation is biological nutrient removal. And that's a core central piece of wastewater treatment. Back 150 years ago, wastewater was treated uh, by growing algae. And those systems, some of them are still around. They call them wastewater lagoons. So they grew algae, algae picked up nutrients, and then it precipitated. It died. It ran out of nutrients and it died somewhere along the way and created sludge in the bottom of lagoons and so on. These systems were marginally effective, but they tended to fill up. And so a more what what they call mechanical process was uh, adopted uh, and gradually became favored. And that is taking uh, a smaller tank, if you would, putting wastewater in it and then pushing oxygen through this tank, aerating it. And what what was happening essentially was instead of growing algae, now they were growing at a high rate bacteria. The problem with this process is that the bacteria, this soup of bacteria can be hundreds of bacteria of various kinds uh, was very difficult to control and uh, also very vulnerable so these bacteria would die on occasion if something was put in this water 
So some kind of chemical that killed the bacteria, the whole system would go down. In fact, it does. So any city, any town in the United States, statistically, it's, it's probable that their systems will, for one reason or another, go down for a day, two days, three days, even more. Nobody talks about it, but it happens everywhere. Our system is instead of growing either algae or bacteria, we grow a different plant. It's known as duckweed. We like to use the Latin word lemnasia. But this is a crop which I have uh, essentially developed over the years, taken it from being a wild plant and learned to farm it. Uh, it's much more robust than bacteria. It won't die as easily if presented with some toxin vector. Uh, and it's a single plant. In other words, we can control this plant um, much more easily than a soup of unknown bacteria. And we harvest the plant uh, reliably. It's very easy to deal with. And we then monetize it, turn it into value, uh, as you would any crop. Uh, and in this case, we use it as feed uh, on one fraction of what we harvest, which doesn't have toxins in it. We turn it into feed for fish. That's how we create value. Or we turn it into plastics, bioplastics. So these are the two things that come out of our wastewater treatment plant bioplastics and feed for fish. And yeah, we've learned to do fish production, uh, aquaponics, you've heard of that term, at a very high rate as well. So we do all these things. It's complicated. It's much more robust. It's more easily done. Systems don't go down as with every other system and you make money. So it changes wastewater treatment completely. So how far along are you in the project development process? How long has it taken you to get to this point? Well, I mean, it, it's we've done this uh, for 40 years. <laughs> this is a long development task for me. So we've done all of the, all of the bits and pieces have all been done. Uh, we ran a, a system in, in Bangladesh, oddly enough, uh, for close to 30 years, and it performed admirably. So we've done it. Uh, we have had lengthy discussions with regulators, engineering companies that would work with us to do the final engineering designs. All of that has been done. Uh, regulators are encouraging us. You know, they, they want to be able to recycle water uh, in Texas. It's the only way they see being able to meet demand in the future. This is one area where global warming is going to just destroy our sources of water in Texas. So we have to recycle. So we've done all of that. We've talked to the town, but we are not real in a sense that uh, this is our first project. So we don't have systems up and running within a regulated framework in the U.S., hence the funding through InfraShares. So the front-end money that we will receive from InfraShares will do the front-end work that will make this project fundable from conventional sources, state funding, banks, 
U.S. Uh, money from the Department of Agriculture, NADBank, uh, which is a, a bank which funds projects along the border. This is why we've actually picked this location because NADBank was favorable to funding this project. So we've done pre-funding work. We hope to get the money that we need to do the formal paperwork necessary to be able to raise funding. And the funding you're looking to raise is an amount of $250,000, I think. Tell me more about the offer. What kind of development runway will that give you and what will happen next? The 250, the amount will cover our front end work. So we have uh, essentially a, a feasibility study that needs to be done. We have a couple of universities working with us on that, et cetera. So it's budget. Now, this is the amount of money we need to reliably get to a uh, a project that inv- big investors and bankers will fund. So the offer to investors is a you know we wanted to to make it very attractive. So we offer a convertible preferred share. Uh, preferred share takes preference over all other shares in terms of remuneration. It's a guaranteed return once we achieve profitability. So out of the first profits that we get, the investors will get a 20% return on their investment before anybody else gets paid. They will get paid. So even retained earnings, etc., it takes out of that they are the preferred return. We've offered a conversion. So the preferred return here is 20%, which is an attractive return to anybody. But uh, our business plan suggests that the returns in the long run for this project, and we have a good pipeline that we believe will execute very quickly once we've done this first project. So those uh, returns we expect will be well over 35 40%. So the investor gets an opportunity to convert, that'll be a three-month window, to a common share on the same terms as the major investor or investor group that will fund this project going forward. So that window is three months. Uh, They get a chance to take a look and make up their mind whether they want to make that conversion or not. And as I understand, you've had some discussion with lenders, right? Yeah, well, we've gone to two sources that are mandated lenders, if you would, for this kind of project. Uh, the first is the is NADBank, uh, North American Development Bank, which has a mandate. It's funded by the U.S. Uh, in particular. I mean, it was funded at, at, a, at a fairly high rate initially, but it funds projects on a loan basis uh, with favorable terms along the border. So 50 miles into the U.S., which we are within 50 miles of the Mexican border, and 100 miles into Mexico. So they fund infrastructure projects, water, wastewater, energy, uh, along the border. And they are looking for successful 
water and wastewater projects. They tend to want to fund energy projects, which are, you know, sort of, they get a, a, a good return. Water and wastewater projects don't. Uh, yeah, they all lose money everywhere. So we turn that equation around for this bank because finally they will have wastewater and water projects that are internally profitable. Everything else is just a drain. So we change that equation for the bank. The other is the U.S. Department of Agriculture. They have uh, funding for water, wastewater projects uh, in a small community. And the community has to fall below a certain number in terms of population. We fall within that. So these are two sources of funding that we should be able to attract as lenders. But this is a new new territory for them. They've never given consideration to anything profitable coming out of a wastewater project. And so they're sort of all ears, but nobody is, I mean, they understand the circumstance. We can't get an offtake agreement without being real. Now, I've had this discussion with Whole Foods, with HEB, which is a grocery chain here. And they're all, yes, 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 yes. We're very happy to give you an offtake agreement. Keep in touch with us as you develop. But once you become real, i.e. this 250, they will entertain the offtake agreement proposal as well. So uh, these things will happen at the same time. Uh, there's no reason why a Whole Foods, which is owned by Jeff Bezos now, cannot talk with NADBank uh, at the same time. We have a certain advantage in that Whole Foods is based here in Austin, Texas. Uh, I know lots of people in Whole Foods. I play tennis with them, in fact. So that discussion, uh, everyone's in agreement, will happen as we become real. They all want it to happen. And what kind of construction period will the project need? We believe we should be able to have something up and running within about a year and a half of receiving these funds. So once we're funded uh, with the 250, uh, we believe we can have things up and running uh, in a year and a half. It's quick. It's easy. There's nothing complicated in the construction. Nothing. Uh, and I've done it for for the last 40 years. So it's like I could do it in my sleep. So just from my understanding then, Paul, the, the 250 doesn't take you to the start of construction, right? It takes you through feasibility and permitting, and then you'll have a larger debt and equity raise for the full project. So are you saying it's a year and a half from when you complete feasibility? No, I, I, believe, I believe it's a year and a half from when we close on the 250. We're very confident that we can have this moving very quickly once we get that 250. So we're having discussions with funders who are sort of chomping at the bit. Yeah, yes, you know, get us the project that we can fund. So we believe we can move it forward very quickly. About a, about a year and a half is, is, you know, maybe I'm being optimistic, but I think a year and a half. There's no big concrete, there's nothing big like that. This is all agricultural, if you would. It's, it's simple construction. And what kind of capex are you looking at for the full build-out? Uh, the capex on this project will be about $15 million. Uh, and this was 
a number which we came at from uh, investors. Yeah, they want something at least this big. So we played with numbers uh, to meet their requirements. And so about 15 million uh, is what the size of the project will be. Got it. Paul, I've had a look at your listing on the InfraShare site and I saw the financial model extracts that you've listed there. And look, I'm a financial modeling guy, right? And so I'm always keen to understand what the model tells us. There are some pretty eye-watering IRRs in your model extracts. I was seeing numbers in the 70-something percent range for IRR, which is pretty high for infrastructure, to say the least. Can you maybe tell us more about the assumptions that get us to such high returns? Well, it, it's it's interesting in a sense that we get land for free. So take that out of the equation. We get water for free. Take that out of the equation. We get all our energy for free. We get all our nutrient. Everything is free. So we had, we take all of this and we convert it into money effectively using the world's fastest growing crop, sunshine, which is free. It's stunning. So, I mean, this changes farming. If you think of it that way, it certainly changes wastewater treatment. Now, the big expensive piece of our equation is taking our treated water, which we treat to a higher level than any existing wastewater treatment system, and we run that through a membrane system. So we are doing a final membrane treatment. That costs us money. It costs us energy, which we produce ourselves, uh, and it costs us uh, for the membranes themselves, the, the, the CapEx on, on that system. We have a system which will be part of this first project, which is quite extraordinary on the membrane business, which is growing in leaps and bounds globally. We lower the surface tension of water using a system which uh, has been around for a long time. We do so uh, immediately preparatory to running it through the membrane. Uh, and we can get a multiplier, if you put it that way, of efficiency gains running it through the membrane. You take water and look at it, uh, put it on a plate, and it does this. We treat the water, think of like soap or surfactant, but it's not. We use simply electronic means to do this and the water spreads out on the plate. It's just that simple. So this will become a big thing in future as well, uh, learning how to lower the surface tension of water before it is run through a membrane. We will introduce that first in this particular project. And that lowers our cost to a third of, of, of what it would otherwise be to run it through the membrane. So the secret to blistering IRRs and infrastructure is low capex, no feedstock cost, no land cost, and no energy cost. Precisely. Yeah, no, no cost of materials, none. And, uh, you know, we generate our own energy. Uh, we have uh, more efficient ways as well of generating energy, uh, renewable energy in a, uh, a local area 
uh, circumstance. And so all of these will come to fruition. Uh, and we expect as well in the future that other towns will pick it up very quickly. I mean, take a small town like Los Fresnos. Its major cost is simply dealing with water, wastewater, and waste. That's it. I mean, it bankrupting every small town because the regulators are coming down on them, not treating it well enough. So, so we take that sort of cost factor, call it two million for a town like this, and we turn that into a profit of two million. So you take a small town with a few thousand people and you take you know, their biggest cost factor, $2 million, and turn it into a profit of $2 million, that $4 million difference changes everything. $4 million difference over what they used to have, it changes the entire equation for a small town. Parks, gardens, schools, everything changes. You probably get this question a lot, Paul, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it anyway. Why has this not happened before? I did this in the context uh, of, of a not-for-profit uh, that I operated overseas. Yeah. So I did this in India, Bangladesh, etc. I had a system that I ran in Bangladesh for close to 30 years uh, that treated wastewater better than New York City and paid for itself time and time and time again. So I was a non-profit and I was doing this at the side. My job was rural development. And this system sort of kept evolving, kept evolving. I kept doing it. But I wasn't thinking commercially. And uh, <laughs> I retired, if you would, from the nonprofit. And uh, my wife told me, she said, go in the bathroom, look in the mirror, and tell yourself that you are going to commercialize this system. You just walked away from it. She said, and if the answer is no, she said, just go and shoot yourself. It's so, <laughs> harsh. That's a harsh lady. Very, very harsh. So, so I said, all right. So I am having retired, commercializing a system that I've spent 50 years to develop. So 40 years ago, yeah, raising the funds, dealing with engineering firms, uh, skeptics, if you would. I mean, I, I run into this all the time. And, and that same question, well, if it's so damn good, why doesn't it exist? Well, it did, you know. We had a system running for 30 years. So, um, you know, I'm giving it a shot now. Uh, so that's, that's why it hasn't happened. And good for you, Paul. I really love that you're putting everything into making this happen. Obviously, investors and lenders are going to be thinking in terms of project risks. What do you think are the biggest risks facing this project? I mean, there's, there's no risk in terms of the system itself. It's just so robust. It's so dead simple. It's so easy to do. Uh, growing fish is simple. Making plastics is fairly simple as well. The biggest risk is breaking through. And that resistance from engineering firms in particular is, uh, is deadly. Though so it is very strong resistance from engineering firms. I mean, they're sitting on, uh, something that they've milked for the last hundred years. Yeah, the small town, the city, 
and what it has to do to treat its wastewater and produce drinking water. And they ride that engine uh, and milk it. Huge amounts of money. The city I'm in right now, Austin, Texas, costs us a billion dollars a year that goes into sort of, you know, all of these people that milk this system. So that's the, that's the, 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 the risk is breaking through that because they put obstacles in front of you everywhere you go. But doing it, I mean, it's just ridiculously simple. I mean, I would do one in Siberia, South Texas. Okay. Um, we're, we're talking to people in Saudi Arabia, Jordan, in the desert. It's not difficult. As we publish this episode in early August 2021, Paul's project is about 10% funded. If you're interested, please take a look at invest.infoshares.com. You can learn more about his project there. This podcast and this conversation is not in any way an endorsement of the project or any form of investment advice. It's up to you to do your own due diligence on Paul's projects or any of the projects listed on Infoshares. That said, we really wish Brian, Paul and the other projects well. It's great to see this kind of innovation in the infrastructure space. And we're going to continue our series on infrastructure innovators in the next episode of the podcast. Thanks to Brian from InfraShares. Thanks to Paul from Skillicon Technologies. Thanks as usual to Bren Russell for his great editing and mixing skills. And thanks to you for listening. If you like this podcast, please consider sharing it on social or leaving a review on iTunes. It really does help. You'll notice we're not running ads. We're doing this because we want to tell the stories of the amazing people who work in the sector and who do incredible work that changes people's lives all over the world. We'll be back soon to tell the story of another project. The project is a production of the Project Finance Institute. Find out more at projectfinanceinstitute.com. Today's episode was presented by Kenny Whitelaw-Jones and edited and mixed by Bren Russell.